Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. If you have your Bible, would you meet me in Galatians chapter 4? Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 through 20. As we continue uh, in our series in the book of Galatians, and we begin to uh, really in the heartbeat of this entire book, I want to highlight something in our hearing that Pastor Derek did a great job of highlighting last week, but something that we cannot miss, one of the most important parts of what it means to be a follower of Jesus this morning. So Galatians chapter 4, when you've got it, do me a favor and simply shout, I got it. If you're able, would you rest on your feet as we read the scripture together? It reads this way. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? Whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. The very words of Scripture. Amen. You may be seated. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood. Sorry, I could not travel both and be one traveler. Long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other as just as fair and having perhaps the better claim because it was grassy and wanted wear. Though as for that, the passing there had warned them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay in leaves, no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day, yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Robert Frost first pen this poem in 1916, and 
if I could use some creative license this morning, there are often times in life when we come to a crossroads, if you will, where one decision seems like it could change the trajectory of our lives, where we can either go the safe route or we can blaze a new trail. When, when it comes to faith in Jesus, there can often feel like there are two options. Either uh, we can take the way of, uh, of, the, uh, of the world or we can take the way of Jesus. But I often think that we stop there. Either it is the road of the world or it is the road of Jesus. But Frost's poem actually highlights for us that the two options are actually very similar. He says in the second stanza, though as for that passing there had warned them really about the same. And I want to suggest to you and me that the road of religion and the road of the world is closely attended to and can actually be a similar road that leads to a very similar destination. I also want to suggest to you and me that the Bible actually calls us to a unique path, a path that is actually incredibly foreign to us, a path that is indeed the road less traveled by, that road less traveled by that will actually make all the difference. I want to preach from that subject this morning. I want to preach from the subject, the road less traveled, the road less traveled. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your grace and for your kindness towards us. I thank you for the opportunity to sing to you, to worship you, even to give back in response to your generosity towards us. Now I pray as we get ready to open up your word that you would open up our eyes to see magnificent things that are in it. Holy Spirit, it is to that end that I am available to you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. As we get ready to come to our passage this morning, the Apostle Paul has just articulated some of the most significant words in the entire New Testament. The false teachers in uh, Galatia had come into Galatia, if, you've ha- if you have not been tracking with us throughout our series, and they were telling the people there in, in the churches in Galatia that Jesus was cool to begin with, but you needed to go back to the Old Testament law. You needed to be circumcised. You needed to observe certain days. You needed to, uh, in essence, become Jewish. And one of the interesting things that the Apostle Paul highlights here is that the Old Testament law, uh, the way that they're trying to impose it on the Galatians was never intended to be a cure. It was, uh, it was never intended to be uh, something that could be followed so that you could be saved. Uh, and so they used this language of being connected to the patriarch of the Jewish faith, a guy by the name of Abraham. Um, and in essence, I imagine the argument being that we are the true children of, of Abraham Uh, And the Apostle Paul says that we, uh, because of faith, are no longer children of Abraham, but we have become the children of God on the basis of faith. So uh, he uh, he has sort of subverted their argument 
and said that through faith in Christ, we have gone to uh, an incredibly different level uh, through faith in in Christ. And one of the most uh, prominent passages, scrutinized passages in all of the New Testament comes up for us in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28 says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So here's the interesting thing, because a lot of people have used this particular passage to argue that everybody is the same uh, when it comes to the foot of the cross. And though I get the sentiment, what I think the Apostle Paul is arguing here is that everybody is completely equal at the foot of the cross. It doesn't matter about your gender. It doesn't matter about your ethnicity and your ethnic background. It doesn't matter about your socioeconomic status. Everybody is completely equal at the foot of the cross. Now, that makes sense to you and me because we live 2,000 years after this passage was written and we get to live out the fruit of that passage being Uh, practiced in society. In the ancient world, them hearing somebody say this, that's, that's outrageous. Of course there's different people who are better than other people. Of course there's more important people. Of course people who are wealthy are blessed by God and the people who are not are not blessed. Of course women are less than men. Of course. Right? And, and so when the Apostle Paul says this, it is, it is, it is society changing. And, and, and we look at, we look at a, a passage like this and say, and, and say of course, and, and sometimes we, we look at the Bible and look at things that are said in the Bible as though the Bible is holding society back. And what I, what I need to get in your spirit right now is that the Bible is actually the means through which we receive the equality that we live in right now. The reason why Martin Luther King Jr. was arguing what he was arguing was based on the authority of the Bible. And so what the Apostle Paul is saying here subverts the entire understanding of how society and people function, now saying that everybody is equal, but not only does he say that everybody is equal, he goes on to say that it's as though you and me have become the only child in the inheritance from God. Now watch this. And some of, the, some of the ladies might, might hear, like, you hear the word son, 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 come, come back over and over and over again. And what Paul is saying, in the ancient world, the only person guaranteed an inheritance from their father was the firstborn son. So not only is Paul saying everybody has become completely equal, he's saying everybody has gotten a promotion to being only children who are guaranteed an inheritance, not from their father, but from the God of the universe. 
So he goes on to say in Galatians 4, 4 through 6, but when, uh, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship because you are his sons. God sent his spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit calls out Abba, Father. It's, it's a, a term of affection uh, towards uh, a father. And he uses this illustration in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, that doesn't quite make sense to us, but it actually connects to verse 8. He says in chapter 4 and verse 2, the heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time is set by his father. Earlier on in chapter 3, verse 23 and 24, before the coming of this faith, hang in there, come go with me somebody, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. So here's the picture. The, the law of God that uh, we, we, we talked a little bit about this a couple of weeks ago. The, the law of God, uh, Jesus summarizes in the New Testament, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then we went back and we looked at the Ten Commandments and talked about how the first four commandments are about how we relate to God and, and the last uh, the last six are about how we relate to one another. We looked at the first one, have no other gods besides me. And we looked at the last one, thou shalt not covet. And we realized the reality of our situation is that we can't do that. Like we don't, we don't have, we don't have the, the capacity to do that. So uh, in essence, what the Apostle Paul is using this illustration to do is to say that under the law, we were... Uh, we were under a guardian uh, to show us our situation and our circumstance. And some of your translations may say that the law was a tutor that pointed us to Christ. And so there's a time frame from which we get the clarity that we cannot keep the law, but then we are given the gift of the promise of the child through whom not only do we receive a righteousness that is not our own, but we receive adoption as children of God and inheritance that we didn't accomplish just solely on the basis of grace. So, so that now the, the, the time has come or uh, uh, we have fully grown up. The time has come to which God would introduce this idea of faith in grace in the child of promise so that you and I could receive this inheritance as firstborn sons. That's why uh, he says in verse 8, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who were by nature not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, and the, the law earlier on in, uh, in Galatians chapter 3 was talked about as something that enslaves us, and it imprisons us. And the reason, like, well, like we've been saying, that it enslaves us and it, it, it imprisons us is there's always more to do. There's always, there's always more to accomplish, and there, there is no relief from the things that need to be done. But now, grace has come onto the scene, and the Apostle Paul says to this Galatian church that is made up primarily of Gentile believers, non-Jewish believers, and there's these Jewish followers, uh, Judaizers, who have come in and said, hey, you got to become Jewish, and, and now they're like, all right, I guess we got to, Jesus was Jewish, so I guess we got to practice the Old Testament law. Uh, now, 
uh, they're like, no, like literally you used to be enslaved to idols, right? And, and in the ancient world, it was a polytheistic society, meaning that they worshiped multiple gods, but they would worship gods uh, as uh, the text says, the elemental principles of the world. They would worship gods who they created that were the gods of elements, the, the rain god and, uh, and, uh, and the, the, the harvest god. And, and they had all these different gods that they had to appease and, and, uh, and they would shape and, and uh, mold images and actually literally worship those gods. And the thing that happens when you're in a situation like that where that is the way that you worship is that if something bad happens in your life, then you got, I got I to gotta go make sacrifice to the wind god. I got to go I got to go make sure that that's, that's right. And, uh, and then as long as everything's going right, it's like, yeah, I think that God is, uh, is pleased with me um, until something happens bad. And then I got to go back and do something in order to. Uh, so there's this constant angst of what else do you need to do? Do I need to do for you? There is no relief. There, there, there is this, this constant position of, of, of I, I, I'm enslaved to this. And the reality is, is that many of us, we might think it's ridiculous to shape a graven image and worship that graven image, but even if you're not a follower of Jesus today, worship is just the idea of trusting in something or someone to bring you lasting satisfaction, comfort, joy, and peace. Sometimes... Sometimes, sometimes we build our lives around our goals, and uh, and that's just kind of an arbitrary thing. But 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 I think that uh, we we uh, we kind of have an assembly line of different things that we uh, turn over and trust in to bring us. Uh, that lasting satisfaction, comfort, joy, and peace. We uh, we look at at goals and and. You set this goal up to, to get to a certain level uh, professionally, vocationally, and you've made it, uh, you've made it to that goal, and, uh, and then uh, you, you make this goal that you would, uh, you would love. You, know, uh, you make a beauty goal. You know what? You say, you know what? I want to lose 20 pounds. Uh, I want to lose 20. I want to lose 20 pounds myself. I want to lose 20 pounds, and then you lose 20 pounds, and then you you say, you know what? I I want to have a partner in life. I want to have a companion. I, I and then I I then get that companion, and then all of a sudden they're doing layoffs at, at work, and then I, I get laid off, and uh, and 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 man, because I got laid off, there's this security that I don't have anymore that that now I'm trying to fulfill, and I've got a coping mechanism. So ice cream is my best friend at night and then I gain the 20 pounds back and then all of a sudden I lose the partner and then I'm back on the hamster wheel of trying to appease my goals. And I want to lose 20 pounds. I want a life partner. Goals are great, but goals make for terrible gods. Goals are great, but goals make for terrible gods because they enslave you. 
if your goals are the things that you're trusting in, once I get there, I will have arrived somewhere. And so why, while it might look ridiculous that the, they're crafting images and worshiping images and having to appease gods for anything that goes bad in, in their lives, the reality is the human experience is very much the same. We just may not craft a graven image. but we still enslave ourselves to stuff. And so the apostle Paul, he says to this Galatian church, why do you want to go back? Why do you want to go back to being enslaved by idols? But here's the thing. In verse 9, He says, through their religious activity, is this means through which they're gaining favor with God and turning back to those same weak and miserable forces. What he's saying is that when you were pagans, you were enslaved to idols, and now you've become Christians. Enslaved to idols. You, you, see, it's because you and I can make religion idolatry. And honestly, it comes very naturally to us. And so I, I really think that Paul is saying that religion and pagan idolatry or religion and the way of the world look like two different roads. You understand what I'm saying? They look like two different paths. They, they look like there are two different ways to go, and, and actually, just like Robert Frost, they look really, really similar and lead to the same destination. They are actually the road equally traveled. I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but Luke, Luke chapter 15, um, it, it really highlights something for, uh, for our faith in Jesus and something that Paul highlights in this particular passage. Uh, but the, the story of uh, this father who has two sons, uh, one of the sons history calls the prodigal son. And this prodigal son, the Bible says, goes off uh, to a faraway country and squanders his inheritance uh, through riotous living. Um, and and this, uh, this younger son, it, in order to receive this inheritance from his father, he, his father wouldn't have been able to just go to the bank, uh, right? He would have had to, uh, he would have had to uh, go and, and get his, his land uh, assessed and, and see how much it would be worth. Uh, and then he would have to then sell that land and get the money from the proceeds from that land and then just hand it over to his son. Uh, and in, in that day and age, it was as though the son was saying, I wish that you were dead. And his father still gave him the money. 
and he comes back. The Bible says he comes to himself, and uh, he, he comes to himself, and he realizes, wait a second, I'm tripping. I, I could just be a servant in my father's house, and that would be better than this, right? And so he comes to himself. He comes back to his father. His father actually starts running uh, toward him, which is something that fathers didn't do. They didn't run. Like, they didn't put, put down their sandals and lift up their, you know, their onesie and, and go. That wasn't, how, that wasn't how that worked. And it would have been a great shame. It would, have, it, it would have brought on great shame for the father to run. And yet that's what he does for his child. And then the Bible says that the older brother was sort of incensed that the father was throwing this huge party for the younger brother, and, um, and he says to his father, after his father realizes he didn't come to the party, uh, he says to his father, and to not address his father as father or by any title would in essence be saying the same thing his younger brother said. I wish that you were dead. He says, look, I've been with you all these years, done all these things the way that you wanted me to, and you never threw a party for me. And the point being, and I said this a couple of weeks ago, that both children didn't actually want the father. They just wanted the father's stuff. They just, they just wanted the benefits of being a child of the father. But they didn't actually want the father. They just wanted the stuff that they prayed for to be answered. But they didn't actually want the father. They just wanted a new job that paid a certain amount of money. But they didn't actually want the father. They just wanted a companion to spend life with. They didn't actually want the father. They just wanted the father's stuff. And, and you see, the reason, the reason why you and I can be enslaved by that approach is that you're placing God on the hook through your obedience and through the things that you do for God. And you're constantly in a state of angst and anxiety to know whether or not you've done enough in order to get those things. It's not the road less traveled. It's actually the same road. And it's the road that we're most familiar with. That's why the Apostle Paul says, you want to go back to that? Probably... 
I'm a roper, I'm losing track of years here. I literally, I'll say five years ago, and I realized it was 12. <laughs> and I'm starting to, it's just starting to be like, whoa. I'm perpetually 28 in my mind. <laughs> and so when you say five years, it's just like, yeah, automatically it's five years. No, it's like 10 years ago. Um, but I remember I, I had been pastoring for, uh, for some time, and um, I spent a lot of time, uh, we, the, the particular job that I had had a lot of uh, teaching responsibility. So I was constantly studying to teach something all the time and um, constantly studying to teach something. And uh, we had gone to a kind of spiritual retreat for, uh, for a few days. And there was a woman who was leading the retreat. And she said, she said, um, and I, I felt like a little uneasy about this, this retreat because it meant that I was going to have to like spend time in quiet and spend time. And, and I think sometimes we find ourselves not like wanting to be busy all the time so that we don't have to actually sit with ourselves. And we get away with it because it's, it's the Midwest and, and hard work is like, you know, nobody's going to ask you how you, you know, if you say you're busy and you're working hard, that's, that's, all, that's all we ask for. Um, and, I, and I remember um, the, so we're doing all these exercises and I'm always like, I'm just like, uh, when can we go play basketball? And, um, and she says, uh, I want you to go to a quiet place, and I want you to just listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And, um, and even for pastors, sometimes this can be a challenge because, um, because you're like, what if the Holy Spirit don't say nothing to me? Um, and you, you, have to, you have to wrestle with that in your own soul of what the Holy Spirit is saying, and are you quiet enough to be able to listen to the still, small voice? And so I, I go, uh, I go to, to the cabin that I was in, and I just uh, lay in my bed and look up the ceiling, and, and I'm just waiting. I'm just sitting in silence, and the thing that, um, that came to me after maybe 20, 25 minutes felt like almost like a waterfall of, like I was standing under a waterfall of God's affection for me. Uh, uh, it was just overflowing and kept coming over me and kept coming over me. And, uh, and this, this great sense that, Steve, I cherish you. Steve, I love you. You are my beloved. I, and over and over and over and over again. And the thing that I thought to myself is, is this just something that I want to hear? And my second thought is, this can't be what I'm supposed to be hearing because I haven't been doing all the right things the right way. And then I, I sensed the Holy Spirit pointing me back to a passage in Scripture in John 15. And the, the Bible says Jesus is speaking, 
He says, abide in me and I in you and you will bear much fruit for apart from me you can do nothing. And he says, I'm going to send the comforter. John 14 through John 16 is the longest continuous teaching on the Holy Spirit in the Bible. Uh, and he says, but, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And then I thought to myself, all the things that I have been teaching and sharing uh, w- with people, and then I, I realized that what God says over me in Christ is exactly what I was hearing underneath the waterfall. Steve, you are cherished. You are my beloved child. Steve, I love you so much. I I lavish you with all of my affection. Um, And and I, I thought to myself, that can't be because I haven't been doing it all as well as I could. And you realize that the gospel... That, that I had allowed myself to be enslaved. And that was what was most natural to me. In Galatians, in Galatians 4, 6, in, in other words, what, what I was hearing as the Holy Spirit was bearing witness to the person and work of Jesus that it had been applied to my life, what, what, what I was hearing was because you are his sons, God sent his spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, Daddy, and Daddy responds, you're my cherished, beloved child. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Our inclination is not the road less traveled. Our inclination is enslavement. Our inclination is just being the older brother, the younger brother, all the while Jesus is saying, I've given you my grace. Because the gospel relieves the angst that the law would enslave us to and gives us an assurance and a security that makes obedience an incredible delight. When I was uh, finishing this this message, and and I'm looking at at what the Apostle Paul says in verse 16, he, he says, have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? That's how much we don't, we don't mess with grace that he had become their enemy. And then he gives all this language centered around, like he was stoned in, uh, in uh, Iconium. I believe it's Iconium, Acts 14. That's Galatia, that's the reason of Galatia. So then he says, I had this situation where, where I, w- I needed some help and y'all treated me as though I was an angel sent from God because I sent you the message of freedom. That's why after Paul gets done talking about our, our security and adoption and, uh, and, and all the things that it means to be children of God by, by grace, he says in Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Last night I was finishing this message and, um, and my son Trey walks in and I'm, I'm, I'm writing on the computer and I, I realized um, without even thinking about it, what was the most important thing I had to do 
vocationally for the week um, instantaneously stopped the moment my child came in. And he sat on my lap and he pressed the escape button <laughs> and looked back at me like, ah. And I was like, yeah, buddy. Thank God that Apple, like, figured that out at some point in time in the past several years. And I, I realized in Christ that that's the kind of security that you and I have. That's the kind of, not, not the angst of do I need to appease him. It's, it's that the God of the universe stops what he does. Stuff's the most important thing that he has going on and says, come sit on my lap. Because he's my child. Because you're his child. Because you're his child. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood. Sorry, I could not travel both. And be one traveler, long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And so I, I pray as uh, we press the message of your grace into our hearts and minds, remind us uh, today, God, that, that that sense of being unburdened, that, that sense of come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Um, that is the gift of the gospel. That is the gift of your grace and your kindness towards us, that not only do we get your righteousness, not only do we remind ourselves that we're standing in um, a belonging and acceptance and approval that is not our own, but you put the congressional medal of honor around our necks and make us uh, your children. Not to say, how can I uh, appease Abba how can, I, how, how can I make sure that, like, you know, he's going to give me money for my report card? But just that sense that I, I love you, you are my beloved because you are my child. Not because of anything you've ever done, not because of anything that you could do, but because you're my child. And so I pray, Heavenly Father, that as much as it is a foreign concept to us, that you would show us the road less traveled, that your spirit would guide and direct us to recognizing that we are co-heirs with Christ. And the very fact that that's true would motivate our obedience out of the light and not duty. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 9 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.